Well, good morning, Cornerstone, and Happy New Year. Aren't you thankful for the children's ministry workers that are downstairs? Yeah, it's always good to be grateful for them. That's wonderful. Now, as Pastor, uh, Pastor Ryan indicated in his prayer, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Paul, at the encouragement of our board of elders, um, has gone off the grid. He's got his phone on airplane mode. If, if you see him this morning, it's not him, it's a stand-in, it's a look-alike. He's in stealth mode right now because um, he's focused this last week and this coming week uh, to update his book, Mile One, Mile One, which was first published in 2010. And so I know that you'll be in prayer for him, that God will really empower him and keep using this discipleship tool in a way that will be increasingly fruitful for our church and for God's kingdom. So I know you'll be praying for him. Well, it is 2024. Um, here it is. And as you and I consider how to spend the time that God is going to give us, however much time is left to us, and as we reassess our habits and our goals, it's important to remember that the Christian life is a journey. The Christian life is a journey. You and I are on a lifelong walk. We're strangers and exiles on this walk. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our home, the destination that God has made our hearts long for, is, as Hebrews 11 verse 16 puts it, a better country. A better country, a heavenly one, a city not built by human hands, but one God himself has prepared for us. So the best way to journey through the days of this coming year is with our eyes locked on that, on our ultimate destination that God is building for us. You know, in the rhythm of the Old Testament worship, God required his people to journey. Three times a year, they would hike up to Jerusalem and from whatever geographic point that they called home, wherever their pilgrimage began, their journey made a rigorous ascent to the hill of the Lord where they'd worship the Lord God at his temple. And so you can imagine as they traveled, their main concern almost certainly was to prepare their hearts, to make their hearts ready to stand before holy God to present themselves before the Almighty in worship at the temple. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, asks Psalm 24. Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to an idol, is the response in the same psalm. You have to get ready for that. And so God's people composed songs for just that purpose. A collection of 15 of those songs are tucked into our Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. They're called Songs of Ascent, songs you sing as you go up. So Psalm 120 through 134 
our God-inspired travel tunes playlist that they would sing as they huddled around the campfire during the frigid desert nights or as they hiked through the hot days looking for the shade that was so scarce. This road trip playlist is meant for us, too, because the lyrics are timeless. They help us calibrate our hearts as we make our way home. They're songs for our journey as well. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, you'll find it in, on page, one, page 518, 518 in the church Bible there in front of you. It's a well-worn favorite of mine. Psalm 130. When our boys were young, they loved to hear stories about when we were young. It baffled them that that was even possible, right? How could dad ever have been a boy? Impossible. They especially loved it when we told on ourselves. One, of, uh, one that was a frequent request was when I was about when I was five, age five years old, and I snuck some coins from my mom's purse. I made for the front door. I flew the 100 yards to the corner store and bought contraband, can- contraband candy and then got busted as I lied through my sticky teeth. <laughs> they loved that story. One of our guys in particularly resonated with it. Ooh, Daddy, you were in deep. Yeah, I was. It was the worst day of my childhood. Your daddy deserved everything he had coming to him. And so I would recount all the corrective measures my mom undertook, and believe me, there were many that day. And as I did that, the look on his face was something like what a lifer in prison might get as he rolls up his sleeve to show a wicked scar. Whoa, dad. But my son's fascination came from a deeper place in his soul than that. As I recounted my story of my wrongdoing and getting busted and paying for it, his eyes said, Dad, I know what that feels like. I know what I bring on myself. I know how sin sinks and guilt suffocates. It helps to know that my daddy knows too. We all know, don't we? Yes, we do. Unresolved guilt bears down like oppressive heat. It saps your soul. Remember what, how it feels when that unmarked car you noticed a little bit too late moves off the shoulder? Its lights are flashing and it slips behind you, slips right in there. And you go, yep, nailed, busted. Saved saints still sin. Sin corrodes. Sin deadens. It kills. But our Heavenly Father knows. Not by personal experience. Our Daddy knows. And so He gives us a psalm. Psalm 130. He reaches down, in, Psalm 130 reaches down into that oxygen-deprived place that our personal sin plunges us into. It's God's way. It's our God-given way for when we're in over our heads to pull us back out. And like a shaft of light 
or a trail of bubbles, it points the way back up to the surface where we can breathe again. Listen in. And this song will teach us how to experience the relief of God's forgiveness. We need this, don't we? We need it daily. Hear now the word of the Lord. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen. Watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Notice how the song is broken into four different stanzas with two verses apiece. Each stanza prompts us with the help that we need to find this relief of God's forgiveness. So to experience the relief of God's forgiveness, first of all, it says, cry out for God's mercy. Cry out for God's mercy. See verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The singer raises his voice literally out of deep waters. You ever tried that? You ever tried to say something or shout something from underwater? Does it work? What comes out? Nothing understandable. It's just garble. When we do wrong, it garbles our intimacy with God. He's our life giver. When we choose to walk out of step with him, we bring dissonance into our relationship. We've dethroned our Lord. It's, it's like a cancer that we invite into our bones. It's a corrosion that you and I can't carry for long. David put that corrosion into words in Psalm 32. He said, verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up, sapped as by the heat of summer. You felt that. You know what that feels like. Every God lover knows if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, Psalm 66, verse 18. We can't walk with holy God and pretend that we're tight, that we're together if we are clutching sin like a competing treasure at the same time. We know that. But every bent inside of us and every pressure outside of us makes us point every place else but here when we're in that place. 
we blow smoke screens. It's everybody else's fault. It's, it's our parents. It's our upbringing. It's the, it's the system. We're the victims, and so we lash out. You know, in, in lifeguarding, the one who's drowning in deep water, if they keep thrashing and fighting, they lose. They miss out. Only when that that person relaxes and admits that they're in a fix, when he gets mercifully knocked out by the lifeguard, can help really happen. And so the way back from the depth of our guilt is not to thrash. It's to admit, I've got no excuse. I've got no appeal except for this. God, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. And that's a prayer that God will always hear. If I had cherished, if I had protected, if I had clutched my sin, the Lord wouldn't listen, but God truly has listened. Psalm 66 goes on to say, He has attended to the voice of my prayer. This vital truth comes up often in God's Word because we need it often. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain, you say it, mercy. Will obtain mercy. 1 John 1, I love how our favorite verse, verse 9, is sandwiched in between verse 8 and 10. Verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, I'm no sinner, we deceive ourselves, we're deluded, and the truth isn't in us, we're out of touch with reality. But you go to verse 10, the second part of the sandwich, if we say we have not sinned, I haven't done anything wrong, we make God out to be a liar. We say He's out of touch with reality and His Word is not in us. But, let's say verse 9 together, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God lover, do you regularly experience the relief of God's forgiveness? Repentance and confession is God's gift It's a daily discipline. It's baby steps designed to fill us with fresh vitality for the journey home. So make good use of it. Cry out for God's mercy. And then, the psalm says, acknowledge that God does forgive. God really does pardon. See verse 3? If you, O Lord, marked iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God, if you were to keep track, if you were to log each misstep and mark every blotch on my record, oh Lord, it's a, it's a rhetorical statement, isn't it? I'd be toast. So would you. We would all be. All over the world, there's a notion that someone, somewhere, is keeping track of our trespasses. Even in, some, even in cultures like ours where that notion is suppressed and maybe even scoffed at, we're reminded that someone somewhere is keeping a list, checking it twice, right? 
finding out who's naughty and nice. It's here too. On a mountain peak in Tibet, there's a cave barely big enough for a skinny person to squeeze through. And they say that if you can't get through that tunnel, it's due to the karma collected on your soul over the past incarnations like fat on your frame. On Good Friday every year in the Philippines or in Hispanic America, people will crawl for miles on their knees until their knees are bruised and bloody, or they allow themselves to be temporarily crucified in an attempt to impress the record keeper. Someone, somewhere, is keeping track. In Africa and in Haiti, unpredictable spirits are the ones keeping score in a way that nobody really understands except the local witch doctor. Somebody, somewhere, is keeping track. It's deep down inside us, that notion. In 2021, a columnist wrote a piece entitled, The Internet Has Turned Our Past Into a Curse. And he writes, Our words and our gestures fade in memory, Old photographs are lost, but online, every dumb picture, every unfinished conversation, every idle feud is preserved. Living as we are in the land of no forgetting online, we are not so much people as we are vast, unwieldy filing cabinets waiting to be browsed by our friends or raided by our enemies. We have a record online. Some of it we want to remember. Some of it we wish no one ever knew. And we know it's out there and it could jump us at any moment. But the reality is actually more fearsome than that. The Bible tells us that the true and living God, the omniscient creator of our souls, our creator and judge, already knows it all. And he doesn't have to go digging. No creature is hidden from his sight. We're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews 4.13. God has made it clear, hasn't he, in his word, that one wrong in our lives taints our souls, like one drop of sewage in a glass of water makes it undrinkable. God doesn't have to keep score. Everything is exposed and laid bare before Him. He knows it all. What I've done in the dark, God knows like blazing day. Break one law and we're guilty of breaking the entire code. With a record like mine, with a record like ours, who can stand in his court of law? But mercifully, the stanza continues, verse 4, with you, with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The psalm doesn't go into how God goes about doing that, securing our forgiveness. It just celebrates it. With you, there is forgiveness. God, God really does erase our record. But how? How does he do that? How does he blot out our, all our blotches? How does he manage to be keeping steadfast love for thousands, as Exodus 34 affirmed, 
forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. How can God do both? How can He both forgive and yet by no means clear the guilty? The answer? In Christ. In Christ. God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting, not counting their trespasses against them. Sinners never get off scot-free. We never, never just get off. God deals with our guilt in Christ. How has He done that? A few verses down in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 explains the how. For our sake... God made him, Christ, to be sin, to wear our sin record, who knew no sin, who had no record of sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, so that his pristine, unblemished life record might count as ours. Christian, with God, there is forgiveness. At the steep cost of his beloved son's spotless life and by his death in our place and for our sake, offered by his matchless grace and received humbly by faith, God simply wipes out our record of wrongs because it was absorbed by Jesus. He tosses them as far as east is from the west. He chooses not to count them against us, not ever. And he can do that justly because Jesus took our entire record of wrong. Everything, everything we've ever done in the past, whatever we do today, all that we will ever be doing tomorrow, he took that record on himself and he paid it in full. In full. With you, God, there is forgiveness. Now notice that that forgiveness is not an end in itself. Did you see that in the second half of verse 4 there? With you there is forgiveness that you may be, you say it, feared that you may be feared. God pulls us out of our own muck, not so that we can wallow back in and carry on as before, but so we can do what we're designed to do. Fear Him. Revere Him. Live in light of His holiness. Enjoy Him in uncluttered fellowship. Worship Him worthily. Reflect His goodness and His glory. Obey Him with joyful trembling. Love Him with awestruck wonder. He forgives us that we may fear Him. When we experience how God does really forgive sin, it makes us long for what God longs for us. You know, occasionally Kathy and I will be in a really sweet conversation, either in the kitchen or maybe in the car, and then it'll go quiet. It's that, you know, comfortable kind of quiet. And then I'll hear her sigh. There's a yearning going on deep down in her with that sigh. Have you ever heard God sigh? Listen. 
Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. That's what God aspires for you and for me this year. It's what He yearns that we experience this year. He desires it for us for forever. And so cry out for God's mercy. Acknowledge that God really does forgive. And then thirdly, grip God's Word no matter how you feel. Grip God's Word no matter how you feel. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. There's a whole lot of waiting in those verses, isn't there? What's that all about? When you and I have felt the corrosion of our sin, the the oppression of it, and we've admitted our need for God's mercy, we've come to him for his pardon, The truth is that our feelings can lag behind, can't they? It can take time to feel, am I forgiven? Have I really been sprung free? Is that really off my record? Am I truly pure before God? Is it really gone from me and from Him as far as east is from west? We want relief so badly that we could burst from the waiting. It's like being underwater, hardly being, hardly able to, to hold our breath a second longer before we finally break the surface. But don't forget, feelings fail us. Our feelings are not reliable guides. Make them follow the lead of God's promises. Conform them to what God, is, God says is true and what He will be faithful to do. That's what He commits Himself to. It's how David did it. Psalm 32, again, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And fact, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Grip God's word. Remind yourself again and again, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Keep telling God, God, with you there is forgiveness. You tell me there is. You won't hold out. It's your character that you keep your word. You commit yourself to what you say is true. You are faithful. And it's your work through Jesus that makes it true. You're just. Thank you. And those are just for the things that I am aware of. All of the rest that you, God, are perfectly aware of, every last ugly dreg that you and your perfection know is there, thank you. Thank you. Even that is purified. If you've ever worked night shift as a security guard especially, you know that having not a whole lot to do just makes a long night longer. It makes it lonelier. It's it's interminable. When will this ever 
end? When am I going to see the first light of day? There's more in this waiting than just wanting our feelings to catch up to the, pro- to the forgiveness that God promises. This is the yearning in our hearts for full and final relief, for complete and conclusive relief, not just from our sins, but from our sinful condition. So in Romans chapter 7, where Paul is experiencing that wrestling match within himself, where he he describes every saved saint's daily wrestle with sin, he exclaims, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will fully and finally release me from doing what deep down I don't want to be doing? And he goes on in Romans chapter 8 to say, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly. Why? As we wait eagerly, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. More than yearning to be cleansed from the wrongs that you and I do every day, I can't wait to be released from the capacity to repeat offend ever again. How about you? One thing is sure. About a watchman's long night, Psalm 130 is hinting at here, dawn always comes. Sun always breaks through. Night always gives way to the full blaze of day. Always. Johnny Erickson Tata, you know her, you've heard of her. She's been a a quadriplegic all her adult life. She's written this. Some don't quite believe me. They think I want Jesus to come back so I can jump out of my wheelchair and walk again. Although at one time that was true, decades of leaning on Jesus in my suffering have driven my longings for heaven deeper. A glorified body would be nice, but I want a pure heart. I want to be holy. That's the ultimate promise from God that we grip. One new day, one new day will dawn when prayers of confession like this one will be no more because sin in us will be no more. So that leads us to the concluding stanza of this little song. If you cry out for God's mercy, acknowledge that He does forgive and grip God's Word no matter how you feel, you will invite others into the hope of full redemption. See how he says that, verse 7? Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He, He Himself, will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What you and I can't see in English there is that the Hebrew language puts an emphasis on he. He himself will do that. What an astonishing statement of hope 
Do you see it? God is the one in the limelight here. Not us, not our guilt, not our despair. What we can't do for ourselves to clean ourselves up, He does. He does. He does it Himself, fully, plentifully, completely. All our iniquities will one day be gone and gone forever when when we reach home. We sang it earlier, praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Christian, the encouragement that comes from practicing this privilege of confession now is this. Every deliverance, every experience of forgiveness from God is a preview and a pledge of that grand day of redemption And every experience of forgiveness now is a foreshadowing of the final redemption from sin and everything connected to it. God doesn't love us to leave us as we are. Through Jesus and by His Spirit, He loves us into greater loveliness, into the radiant beauty of Christ's character that one day we will reflect without blemish. By His mercy, He pulls us from the gutter of our guilt, makes us buoyant again with His forgiveness all because of Jesus. And with the help of His Holy Spirit, through stretches of longing, He teaches us to treasure our pardon, to treasure His forgiveness, giving us a greater taste for His full and final redemption ahead, a deeper yearning for the comprehensive restoration. He guarantees is coming. So today, you and I can look forward to a day where no sin will ever hamper us again, a day when you and I will look back and find that even the consequences of our wrongdoing, the scars from our choices, the adversities that we brought on ourselves are erased. They're gone. They're done forever. In Christ, God has done that. In Christ, God is doing that. In Christ, God will do that. Oh, people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. He Himself will redeem you from all your sins. Let's pray. Lord, and to think that this is just one, just one benefit that you bought by your blood and that you have lavished on us. We are so thankful of all the benefits that we have in you Because of you and your doing, we're so grateful. Lord, we pray that in this year, the days ahead, you will find us leaning into this forgiveness. You would find us always turning, always repenting, always confessing, and joyfully living in the light of your holiness. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to keep us 
making progress in godliness by your spirit until we reach home. And Lord, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today that doesn't know you, they know that their record of wrong still is there, unforgiven, that they haven't yet put their trust in you to blot it out, to take it away. I pray, Lord, that they will see that they will put their trust in Jesus as their sin taker and their sovereign. And that even now, Lord, they will trust in you as the one who forgives and find that forgiveness is real in you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.